0: So how do Christians endure suffering? Last week, Aaron spoke to us about how our sin and suffering can cause us to question whether we're truly saved or not. When we struggle with temptation to sin or we struggle with hardships in life, we can start to believe that, well, maybe God doesn't love us. Maybe God hasn't forgiven us. Maybe God won't welcome us into his eternal home. And Paul's response in Romans 8, verses 1 to 17, we saw last week, is that if we have trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then there is now no condemnation for us. In fact, we have life from the Spirit and we have the promise of inheritance as children of God. But as wonderful as these truths are, they, they don't remove our suffering now. In fact, Paul ends the first part of chapter 8 with this in verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That's well, all very nice for Paul to say that glory is coming, but how does that help me now? now? How can I endure the suffering that he says will come? How can my family endure suffering? In fact, let me tell you about my family. Tracy has spent most of the past two weeks in bed because she's damaged a nerve in her leg and has been in excruciating pain. For the first week, she could barely walk. This is nothing new to her because for the past 18 years, Tracy's either been in pain or in bed or feeling nauseous or feeling fatigued. Because my wife Tracy was diagnosed at 21 with chronic fatigue syndrome and I was later re-diagnosed with POTS. Her condition has complicated symptoms, mostly related to blood pressure and energy. Uh, For years, she actually thought it was normal for her to stand up from sitting down or laying down to not be able to see for the first few seconds, because she thought it was normal for the blood to take a while to get to her eyeballs so she could see. She's on various medications, and these help, Uh, but one of the side effects is that she gets tingling sensations all over her body, like ants are crawling under her skin. Part of having POTS means that Tracy has over-relaxed muscles and tendons, which makes injuries common and frequent. And when she's injured, she can't exercise, and then her health plummets even more. So even though Tracy's leg is starting to get better, she's actually at church for the first time in three weeks today, it will still take weeks for her to recover from having been in bed. This is just part of the cycle that we've lived with for years. Now, I can reassure Tracy that her sufferings are not a sign that she's been rejected by God, but how do I help her endure this life of suffering? And she's not the only one in our family with complicated health. There's also our youngest son, Toby. During a routine 20-week scan, pregnancy scan, it was discovered that our unborn child had spina bifida. We were told that during his early formation, his lower back uh, didn't develop properly, and so there's a lesion there. Uh, The outer parts of his lower vertebrae didn't form, so there's just no bone there at all on the back, Uh, and so his spinal cord was exposed. We were told that this would affect his walking and his toileting. His brain was also affected because it was malformed at the back, meaning that spinal fluid can go up into the brain but has trouble getting back down again. And so we're told that the pressure would build as the fluid built up in his brain during the the pregnancy and this would cause brain damage and impact on his cognitive abilities. And so the next few months were were gruelling for us as we grappled with big questions and big decisions about how are we going to care for this precious life? His delivery date had to be booked in trying to balance two tensions one not letting the fluid grow develop in his brain too much build up because that would lead to more brain damage but also allowing him to mature enough so that his lungs would be sufficiently developed so he could survive outside the womb well the day after he was born he had surgery to repair the hole in his back he had a shunt put in his head to drain spinal fluid away from his brain He spent weeks in hospital before we could bring him home. And over the years, he's had countless appointments with physios, OTs, paediatricians, urologists, speech pathologists, podiatrists and orthotists, neurosurgeons, plastic surgeons, orthopedic surgeons and ophthalmologists, and probably some that I've forgotten. He's had surgery on his eyes. He's had two surgeries to fix his shunt. And thanks to these health professionals, to my wife, to the prayers of God's people. He's doing amazingly well. Many of you who know him wouldn't even know there's anything wrong with him at all. But he still has his struggles. He has a wheelchair to get to and from school, and he tires easily. And there's the possibility that his health will actually go backwards as he gets older. And so Toby will never be fixed or cured in this life. So you now I can't tell Tracy and Toby that they just need to get through the next few weeks or months or years and everything will be okay. Their conditions are lifelong. Now their suffering doesn't mean that God is punishing them or that God has rejected them. They're both confident in Jesus and that he will get them to the end. But there will be pain and trials and groans along the way. So how do they get through their suffering? How do I get through my suffering? How do you get through your suffering? I want you to hear. I want you to understand and believe this key idea. God helps us with our groans as we wait for our glory. It's a big idea today of our passage. And I want to share with you three truths from Romans 8 verses 18 to 27, which teach us how Christians can endure their suffering. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I invite you to listen in on what I say because I suspect that these truths may very well resonate with you as well. So, let's get stuck into truth number one. You'll see it on your outlines. Our future glory far outweighs our present suffering. Have a look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Just let that sink in for a second. It's a very confronting statement, isn't it? Your present sufferings are not worth comparing to your future glory. Your struggles and strains, difficulties that you face in life are not worth comparing to your future glory your joint pain your muscle aches your skin rashes your migraines your arthritis your heart disease your tumors are not worth comparing to the glory that is coming your broken relationships your family tensions your failed marriage your childlessness your miscarriages are not worth comparing to your future glory Your joblessness, your poverty, your debt, your anxiety, your angry boss, your broken down car are not worth comparing to your future glory. That's really confronting stuff. Because we tend to read Paul here as saying that our sufferings don't really matter. It's like Paul saying, Are you suffering from chronic pain? Well, stop complaining. Are you struggling in a difficult marriage? Well, just don't worry about it. Are you battling cancer? Get over yourself. That's not what Paul is saying at all. He's not saying that. Paul is not telling you to minimize your present sufferings. He's instead telling you to magnify your future glory. Your suffering is so terrible that it makes you miserable. But your future glory is so wonderful that your suffering today will pale in comparison to the glory to come. You cannot fathom how magnificent and marvellous the future will be. But maybe we can just try to get a glimpse. I want you to think about the hard things in your life, the things that you struggle with. And I don't want you just to think that they will be removed but that they'll all be replaced with better things. Mortality will be replaced with immortality. Sinfulness will be replaced with holiness. Weakness will be replaced with strength. Strife will be replaced with peace. Depression will be replaced with joyful wholeness. Emptiness will be replaced with fullness. This is the glory that will be revealed in Christians. We will be who we are meant to be. We will be perfected and completed, the best version of ourselves. You might like to think about all of those concepts in your own time. I've listed some Bible verses that you might want to reflect on. But let's think about one of them now. Let's think about depression. We could probably include anxiety and you know, other mental illnesses in there too. And maybe you haven't experienced the darkness of depression or a clouded mind or disordered emotions or paralyzing worries. But if you have, then you know that we can just be weighed down. <laughs> weighed down by the sense that our hearts and our minds just are not doing what we know that they can do. Yeah, there can be good days when life seems amazing and you're just bursting with joy and energy and everything just comes together. But the next day, it's the opposite. Your energy is drained. You feel fractured within yourself. You feel oppressed by forces within and without. You know, think about the worst possible day You're sitting at the bottom of the well of despair. And then imagine a day that will come where that deep suffering will be as if nothing compared to the heights of glory. That you will experience imagine your heart being forever free your mind being forever clear and filled with light your worries and anxieties forever lifted and gone imagine feeling just overwhelming joy and a complete solid wholeness within your entire being no more fractures no more sadness no more darkness just joyful wholeness can you imagine that That's what we have to look forward to. And fixing your mind on that will help you to endure your suffering. Because you need to remember that our future glory far outweighs our present suffering. This doesn't diminish your suffering. It just puts it into perspective. And also, it shows they're not meaningless. We're not saying they don't matter. But you know, if you don't believe in God, if you think that death is the end of everything, well then surely pain and suffering are just simply a natural part of life. And our fight against suffering is ultimately irrational. You know, to groan under suffering then is to simply express a preference of pleasure over pain. And that's a preference that will ultimately be denied because as you get older you will suffer more, and then you die. That's a terrible story. But the Bible tells a different story. One that actually makes sense of our aversion to suffering. One that makes sense of our battle to overcome it. In fact, one that makes sense of our desire to help others who are suffering, even if it costs us our own pleasure and comfort. Why would we do that? Because the Bible tells us that sufferings are indeed bad and that we don't want to have suffering and there is an end. There is a way to get rid of them because Jesus has made a way to bring suffering to an end. He has beaten death. He has beaten evil. He has risen from the grave and he has been glorified and glory awaits for all who trust in him. The best is yet to come. And so this leads to our next truth on how to endure while we wait. Here it is. Our future glory is the answer to the groans of creation and Christians. Have a look at verses 19 to 22. I'll read them out. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the first thing to note is that creation itself groans because it's unable to fulfill its purpose. This is seen, first of all, in its bondage to decay, Which is a state that needs to be liberated from. And you know, we would naturally understand this as being a result of the fall. Yeah, we looked at that in Romans 5, didn't we? The first humans, they rebelled against God, and the world came to be under God's curse, and things have come to be out of whack. And even if you don't believe in God, we all know that the world is not the way we think it should be. Yeah, there's so much suffering in the world not just amongst humans, but even amongst other life forms on our planet. And the Bible tells the true story of how Jesus came to fix things and restore the world. In fact, we could put it in a diagram like this one here on the slide. But I actually think there's a problem with that diagram. I think Paul has a much bigger picture in view. See, look in verse 20. He says that, The creation is subjected to frustration. A better word for this would be futility. It's actually futility in not being able to participate in the glorious future that God created the world for. This might seem a bit odd, but have a look at verse 22. Creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So these are not the pains of something being damaged that needs to be healed or repaired, these are the pains that signal that something better is to come. All mothers know that labor pains are terrible. I've been reliably told that they are excruciating and agonizing. But they're also worth it because after the pain comes a new life, comes the baby. The birth pains point to something wonderful that is about to arrive. And in the same way, creation is not suffering just because it's lost something. Creation is suffering because it has not yet attained something that it was actually made for, something that it longs for. And according to verse 19, creation is longing for the sons of God to finally be born. And so this means that creation and Christians are not yet in their final state. Let me say that again. Creation and Christians are not yet in their final state. See, the story of the Bible is actually about going to something even better. When God created the world, he told humans to fill the earth and subdue it. And this was intended to bring about a glorious future where humans lived in peace with each other, in perfect relationship with God. They would have attained to a state of glory. They would have enjoyed eternal life. And the whole of creation would have given glory to its creator. But the fall of man and the ongoing sinfulness of humanity mean that this hope has never been realized. You know, today the creation suffers under natural disasters, under humanity's destructive activity. But it also suffers because it lacks what it longs for. It lacks what it was made for. And this causes it to groan with futility. And not only creation, but we groan too. You know, Christians groan because we are still unable to fulfil our purpose. Have a look at verse twenty three. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, clearly Paul's speaking about Christians here because Christians are the ones who possess the Spirit of God. And what we learn is that we have a goal or destination that remains unfulfilled. It's not a restoration back to what was lost, but a realization of what was always intended. We will have greater intimacy with God in the future. We will reach a higher level of existence. But because we aren't there yet, we groan. We still suffer under death and sin and the power of the devil. We exist in this long period of waiting and the strain causes us to groan. So what's the solution? What's the birth of Christians into their full glorified sonship. Our glorious future was lost due to the fall and all humans have lived out of step with God ever since. Everyone that is except for Jesus. You see, he came as the true man who perfectly obeyed God. He did what Adam failed to do. He received the reward of glorification. He was able to reach the final state that all humans were created for. And so when we trust in Him, we share in His glory. We receive it from Him. We are adopted into God's family with Jesus as our brother. And so in Jesus, our true nature can be realized and God's goal for creation can be reached. Our glorification will occur on the final day when God raises us up from the dead, gives us new bodies, And at that moment, we'll be revealed to be who we have become, the children of God, the glorified children of God. And this will mean the consummation of all things. In verse 23, our bodies will be redeemed, which means our new state will be finalized, completed, and will be made fit for a glorified life in a glorified creation. And all of creation benefits too. Because according to verse 21, it will be set free from its bondage when it comes into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so really, this is about our new identities that we have now, our new identities being fully realised, our new lives starting in their fullness. A helpful way to think about all of this is to imagine what it might be like for an orphan who gets adopted. Imagine a young boy He's lived in an orphanage for many years. And finally, a couple decide to adopt him. They go in and meet him. He learns that they're going to be his new parents. They sign the paperwork, so it's all official. But it's a few days before they're able to take him home. And so he's now part of the family, but he hasn't yet come into the fullness of what that entails. He's actually still in the orphanage. He's still living that life, wearing those clothes, eating that food, living with those same children. And you know, sometimes he doubts about whether his parents will actually come back for him. And Sometimes the other kids tease him and tell him that he's just making it all up. He's just imaginary, uh, imagining that there are these parents who are one day coming to take him away to a better place. He just needs to grow up and get used to his life. But sure enough, One day, his mum and dad come to take him home, and he begins his new life in its fullness. He goes to the home that's been prepared for him. Isn't it the same for Christians? We have a new father, we have a new home, we have a new life, and we have a taste of these things now, but we're waiting for them to come in their fullness. And so in this time of waiting, we can suffer and struggle because we still live in a rotten world with rotten people around us and rottenness inside us. People will tell us that we're just making it up. There's no such thing as God. There's no new earth to come. You just need to grow up and get used to the life that's here. So we can doubt. We can struggle. We suffer because we know that we have something better waiting for us and we just want to be there already. We need to be like the little orphan. We need to wait. And we can wait because the future is certain. It's the next point that Paul makes in our passage. How can we endure suffering now? Because of truth number three. Our future glory is certain because of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Verses 23 to 27 speak about the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. He brings God's presence to us and he helps us. We're helped by the hope that's brought by the Spirit and we're helped by the prayers of the Spirit. In terms of hope, we see in verse 23 that the Spirit is the first fruits. In farming, the first fruits are the initial harvest that's gathered in. And they give a foretaste of the full harvest to come. So if the first few apples on the tree are good, then we know that the rest of the apples will be good too. The Spirit of God is a first fruit or deposit who guarantees that there is better to come. The Spirit helps us by growing us in assurance, helping us put sin to death in our life, helping us to draw near to God as our Father. And over time, you can actually look back on your life and see the ways in which you have grown and you are starting to live out your new identity You see the Spirit's fingerprints on your life. And these good things are a sign of the best to come. They inspire us to hope. And now look at what Paul writes in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now, Paul encourages us not to confuse the first fruits with the harvest, to not confuse our current state with our future and final state. We live in hope because we don't yet have that which we hope for. And we can wait eagerly and patiently because we know our hope is real and we will one day have that which we hope for. The Spirit also helps us in terms of prayer. He intercedes with groans on our behalf. Have a look at verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know, our hope from the Spirit is a great help when we suffer, But the Spirit offers help in another way. He helps us by praying to the Father on our behalf. I mean, how amazing is that? These two verses reveal the amazing intimacy that we have with God, the amazing love He shows in caring for us. Often we don't know what to pray. We just lack the words to articulate what's weighing us down, what's troubling us. We just can't sort through our own thoughts and our own feelings. You know, we, just, we don't even know what to pray to God about. And sometimes we don't know what the will of God is, so we don't know what we should actually be praying for. You know, what's the right thing to pray for in this situation? And often we don't even know what topic to be praying about. Imagine if God had to wait until he uttered the right prayer before he could act. Imagine if God could only forgive the sins that we verbally confessed. Imagine if God would only bring healing to the sicknesses that we specifically pointed out to Him. Our lives would be miserable because in our weakness we don't know what to pray. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes with wordless groans. And his groaning is like that of the other groaners in this passage. Who else is groaning? Creation and Christians. And what characterizes our groans is that they're kind of inward, they're silent, they're non-verbal. It's just this sense of things are not right. They're more something that we feel and experience rather than something we articulate. For the Holy Spirit... To engage in similar groans means that he's at, he's at work inside of us. And so his ministry of prayer is imperceptible to us. He expresses to God what we need to pray about. He communicates to God what we can't communicate. And the reason why it works is because of what Paul says in verse 27. See, God the Father searches our hearts. And because he knows the mind of the Spirit who indwells in us, The Father knows what we need. Now this might all seem a bit odd to you, but the key here is that our relationship with God and God's blessings upon us are not dependent upon us being able to craft the perfect prayer. God even does the heavy lifting there. He knows what we need to pray about. He says the prayer, he delivers it to himself, then he answers it for us how amazing is that and he does all of this in line with his will so that he will satisfy our needs in the way they need to be satisfied now does this mean we shouldn't bother praying well that's not the message to take away from this of course we should pray we're commanded to pray but these verses are about how do we endure suffering They show us that God helps us with our groans as we wait for our glory. Because he helps our groans by groaning with us. He knows what we're going through. We have a Father who loves us. So let me finish now by sharing four ways that Christians can live out these truths. Number one don't downplay your suffering, yours or other Christians. Allow yourself to groan. You know, sometimes we will suffer due, due to our own sin and that can be our own fault. But you to remember that suffering is not generally a sign that God is displeased with you or a sign that you don't have enough faith or a sign that you're not a good enough Christian. Rather, it's a sign that you live in a fallen world and glory is still to come so you don't have to downplay your current experience. You're allowed to groan. Christians don't have to be kind of joyful, bouncy people all the time singing happy Jesus songs. You're allowed to suffer and be sad. This passage recognises that life is tough and we groan under its weight. This also means you don't have to compete over your sufferings. Your suffering is your suffering even if it isn't as bad as someone else's suffering, it's still bad for you. You don't have to feel guilty that others might suffer more than you. You I often struggle with this in my home because I feel that my suffering doesn't compare to what Tracy and Toby go through. And so I feel like I shouldn't complain. And then I bottle it up and it just gets worse. But it's actually okay for me to groan under my own suffering you know also i've had people feel bad speaking to me about their sufferings because of my family i've had pastoral visits where people will pour out their hearts and they go oh sorry adam but this is nothing compared to what you and your family go through i'd have to tell them no it's not a competition your suffering is your suffering you need to tell me about it so we can pray about it and i can encourage you we don't have to compete and in fact, if other Christians do suffer less than you, then you shouldn't begrudge them being able to express the grief over their own suffering. If you might think it's trivial or something they'll just get over, it's not a competition. And maybe you don't have a lot of sympathy and time to offer because of your own struggles, but you need to let them groan too. It's okay. The second way we can live out these truths is to trust that God knows you are suffering by His Spirit. He knows you are suffering, but He wants to hear from you. God can choose to ease your suffering, and I believe in the power of prayer. I've had lots of people over the years tell me that they've been praying for Toby, and I can confidently say that Toby is doing better than expected, better than any of the doctors expected, chiefly, because of the prayers of God's people that God has answered. But you know, sometimes prayer is hard, isn't it? Sometimes we don't know what to say. And that's why we need to trust that God already knows. His Spirit's inside of you and He passes on your groans to the Heavenly Father. You know, there are days when I just feel so weighed down. I sit on my couch in my study, And I wanted to pray, but just nothing comes. And I feel like I'm groaning. And I know that God knows. I just need to sit there, I say a psalm to myself, or just let God do His work. The third way you can live out this truth is to wait for your full adoption rather than work for it. You know, in verse 25, we're told to wait patiently for what we don't have yet. Now, Paul doesn't say work, does he? He doesn't say, you know, you have to ensure that you impress God enough so that he'll finalise your glory. You might only be kind of a half Christian in heaven or something like that. You won't get the full package. You to know, impress God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, you just have to endure, uh, endure suffering, take it like a man and impress God. It's not what he says. You just have to Wait through the groans, through the trials, through the tears, through the suffering. Wait. You don't have to work because Jesus has already done it all. He has secured your adoption and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you as a deposit, as a first fruit, guaranteeing the glory to come. And the fourth and final way to live out these truths is to feed your expectation of the glory to come. In verse 19, the creation is waiting in eager expectation. In verse 23, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. We are to be eager as we wait for the future glory. We don't minimize our present sufferings, do we? We magnify the glory to come. And so you need to feed your faith by reading the word of God. In particular, passages that speak of heaven and the new life to come. I put some of them in your outline you can reflect on later. You know, speak to other Christians about the life to come in eternity. You know, pray that God would give you a greater, ever-increasing sense of what it will be like to be in glory. And this will feed your expectation. You know, don't live for today, because today will only disappoint. No matter how wonderful one day is, a terrible day is just round the corner. You will only be disappointed And the answer is not to set your expectations lower, is it, about what to expect in life. Set them higher, as high as they can go, and look to the future glory. Set them upon Jesus and the future. Set them upon his promise to one day bring you home to be with him in glory forever. And then pray for the patience you need as you wait. Well, I hope you've seen some ways that Christians can endure suffering in this life. I hope you see some ways that I can comfort my wife and my son. How you can comfort yourself, your friends, your family. And there's a challenge here for those who aren't Christians. I mean, you need to consider whether or not you're content with this life and the suffering that lies ahead that ends in death or whether you can accept that you're actually made for something greater. There's something better. There's a glorious future waiting for you if you would just come to Jesus as your saviour and king. So if you want to chat to me or Aaron about that later, we'd love to talk to you about it. It's what we're here for. But how can Christians endure suffering? By looking to the God who helps us with our groans as we wait for our glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. It's a hard passage, but a helpful passage. And please help us to reflect on it. By your Spirit, may you sink deep into our hearts. And may we remember that you will be with us and you will get us to glory. Amen.